Good morning, New Life Manitou. My name is Elizabeth. May you please stand for our gospel reading. Today's reading is from 1 John 1, 1 through 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who has came through the Father, full of grace and truth. That is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Stand with me as we pray. Lord, you have come into this earth. You are the word made flesh, made your dwelling among us. And Lord, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you for scripture. We thank you that you, Jesus, are fully God, fully one of us, revealing yourself. And we praise your holy name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And God's people shouted. Amen. You may be seated. The title of this sermon is The Treasure of Scripture. The Treasure of Scripture, a person, not a principle. The Treasure of Scripture, it's a treasure, and that treasure is a person, not a principle. Think about all of Christianity. Sometimes people think about this world religion with all its history and denominations and theologies and theologians and angels and demons and scriptures and passages and all these books of the Bible. Can it all be summarized? Some people are like, wow, this massive religion. Can you just summarize? Like, what is this thing? What do you guys believe? Are you ready for the summary? God, the creator, came down as one of us, Jesus Christ, and revealed himself. Can somebody say amen to that? That's the summary of the whole deal. And we get to know about Jesus through primarily, it's, it's the, one of the best resources, if not the best resource, the go-to that we have is the book of the Bible. And so today is a talk about that. Three points this morning. One, Two, three, first, the treasure that is scripture. Then we'll talk very briefly about uh, some tempting ways about how we shouldn't be reading the Bible, kind of unhealthy ways. And then finally, we'll get to how we should read the Bible. But first, before getting into the treasure that is scripture, I thought I would start off with a story, a a true kind of uh, sermon illustration story. I've heard this story a couple times. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's about a father and a son, and it's called the spurned graduation gift. Maybe you've heard it before. So there's a father and a very well-to-do 
neighborhood, a very well-to-do place. And it seems as though when anyone graduates in this circle, in this community, whenever they graduate high school, they get a new car. Tell them what they've won. Must be nice. My community, I can't, I can't think of anyone in my high school that got a new car, but I'm sure that's out there. In fact, I worked, a uh, side note, I worked at, uh, a, a, I was a youth pastor back in my seminary days in North LA near Hollywood. And that there was, a, I was at this church where that happened. Like people graduated and people got new cars. And I was like, wow, this must be nice. So that's the community Imagine it. It's wonderful. Maybe you are a part of a community like that. Praise the Lord. That's wonderful. So the, the son was expecting a car. He was graduating. He was uh, kind of hinting to his dad about the brand new make and model of the car he wanted. And he's hinting and he just knows for sure that he, his dad has got the clue that he wants this particular car. Graduation day comes. He wakes up. He goes out and just to find in the parking, uh, their, their driveway, there must be a brand new car. There's nothing in the driveway. He's like, oh, maybe it's in the garage. There's nothing in the garage. Goes up and down the road. There's no new car to be seen. And just the, the feelings of disappointment start to wash over this young man on his graduation day. Maybe dad didn't get the hint. Maybe dad is too tight with his money that he's not going to get a car. And so graduation day happens. Uh, he graduates. His dad pulls him into his study later that day and hands him, instead of uh, a car, there's no car around, hands him a box, a, a box that's wrapped beautifully, silver, gold, the bow, etc. Dad put a lot of time into this gift and hands this son a box and the waves of disappointment hit this young man. And the dad says, this box, in this box is a gift and this gift is a great reward. This gift is power. This gift is knowledge. This is something I wish someone would have given me when I graduated. I wish when I was a young man, someone would have given me this gift. And so the son receives it kind of depressed, like he's, he realizes this is not what he wants it to be. He opens it up, and sure enough, inside is a genuine leather-bound Bible. And he sees this, and he just he's overcome by anger. Like he, this is not what he wanted. He's, this is, he's, he's mad. And so he puts the Bible on his dad's desk and kind of throws his hands into the air and leaves. And that begins a very dark journey of him and his father separating. His dad would write, his dad would call, his dad would even try to visit, but the son moves off. The son starts his own life. The son gets a job, becomes successful, gets married, even has kids, and then begins to realize in his own mind the mistake he has made. Like he realizes, I was being a brat. Like I've left my father and all because I was disappointed. And he begins to realize that, that maybe he should re restore this, this relationship with his father. And then he gets word that his dad is not doing too good. His dad's in the hospital, potentially on his deathbed and decides, I'm going to go visit my dad. I should have done this a long time ago. And on the way he gets there, he realizes that he is just a little too late. His dad is already gone from this life into the next eternal life. And waves of despair come upon him. And he vows, I need to get the Bible. I need to read it. These are, in a sense, even though it was years ago, I need to read this book. My dad told me to read. It was like his dying words, even though it was years ago. He goes to his father's study the next day. And there on the desk 
Even though it had been years, he finds this Bible opened as almost as if it was years ago. And he picks it up and, and weeps and, and vows that he needs to accept this Bible. He needs to, he realizes the truth and the power. He realizes he wished he would have read it years ago and been reading it all along. He lifts it up and then to the, the conclusion of this story as it goes, keys fall out of the back of the Bible from the box, and there's a note that says, paid in full, the make and the model of the, of the car this young man wanted. But the treasure of Scripture, that is the first point this morning, the treasure of Scripture. This series is, is called Whole Life. We talked a couple weeks ago about worship, connect, and serve, who we are as a church, and that, how that is integrated into the whole life of the church. And I really believe it. I really believe that we will see and are seeing and have seen miracles around us because people get together and we worship, we connect with each other in the city, we serve each other, we serve the city, and therein lies the life change and salvation being played out in and among us, God working in us. Last week we talked about if we want a whole life in God, we need to pray, and today we're going to talk about scripture. And today and, and last week, I mentioned, if you weren't here, I mentioned this very bizarre analogy about what what kind of being a preacher is like saying like, we got to pray, we got to read the Bible. And it's, it's this interesting analogy where I'm kind of like trying to sell you something like, come on guys, you just got to know how awesome prayer is. You just got to, got to, got to, got to know how awesome the Bible is. And, and it's kind of in my mind, a waste of time because if you get it, then it would be like, I said this last week, if after the service, there was somebody giving out $10,000 cashier's checks. Some of you just woke up. You're like, wait, what, what happened last week? What's happened this week? No, it's just an analogy. But if that happened, if there was just someone like, man, I love this church. I just love everybody here. Everybody gets 10,000, even the kids. Everybody, get here's your little envelope. I wouldn't need to take 10 minutes and convince you to go to the back and get your check, right? It would be silly. Everyone would be back. There would be a line like, yeah, it's party time. It's the same way in my mind of like the awesomeness that is having a prayer life, the awesomeness that is having a life devoted to scripture. How can we know what is true? Here's some questions. How can we know Jesus? What is God like? What is this world really like? What happens after death? Well, these questions can be answered by the text of Scripture when we find that in the end there is a person, not a principle, that we can get to know through the text of Scripture. And we can know it ourselves. We can read this book for ourselves. We can know it. We could ha have it read to us. We could get into the life of Scripture for ourselves. It's a primary source. Have you ever been around somebody, uh, a group of people, maybe talking about a movie and you haven't yet seen the movie, but you want to see the movie? And there's all kinds of excitement. Uh, and maybe uh, you pretended you had seen the movie and maybe actually, actually said, yeah, so I've seen it. Of course I've seen it. Uh, this happened to me. Maybe uh, anybody else you lied about that? It's, it's a ridiculous thing. It's a ridiculous thing to lie about. But I was 10 years old. It's 1990. 
Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the movie, had just come out. And I heard some kids on the bus talking about it. So I was just kind of listening in and overhearing about how the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, the fight was Shredder, and they had a pizza party, and Cowbunga, and all this stuff. And I was like, oh, that, that sounds awesome. I wish I would have seen that movie. And then I get to school and off the bus, and my friends are all talking about the movie. And I just kind of jumped in. Yeah, I remember that part where they're all fighting Shredder, and the pizza party, and Cowbunga. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, yeah, that's awesome. And I just remember pretending to have seen this movie and yet had never seen it. And I was kind of keeping up with the conversation. I knew enough about the turtles. I knew enough about the trailer. And, and so I was just pretending. And then I got to see it. My mom, who's here, took me to see it. We sat in the front row and I cringed our necks, but it was awesome. Saw the movie. And I hope that, that this sermon will be uh, encouragement for you that, that many of us probably find ourselves in the boat of talking about Scripture, knowing bits and pieces, knowing enough about Scripture to say, oh yeah, that's my book, it's my favorite book, yeah, 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 I know it, but not having had ever like, wow, breathed in Scripture and fell in love with Scripture. Scripture is a treasure. Let me uh, say something, a piece here that is a little bit nerdy. We haven't done this in a while. Some of you know what's coming. Uh, um, so whatever, we, we get a little nerdy, like seminary, Bible school level. I'll say nerd alert, and then you can make an alert sound. It kind of wakes everybody up to know that we're about to talk about something kind of serious. Nerd alert. <laughs> okay. The Wesleyan quadrilateral. Are you ready for this? Uh, I think there's a quote. The Wesleyan quadrilateral. Quadrilateral means how many? Three. No, it means four. Quad. Is that our drummer who said that? Uh, Wesleyan, John Wesley, have you heard of him? I talked about, if you were here last week, I talked about his mom having lots and lots of kids and her prayer time was not getting away because you can't just leave a bunch of kids by the Her prayer time was putting an apron over her head and everyone knew to be quiet around mom. And that, do you remember that? Were you here last week? Uh, so that's uh, Suzanne Wesley had a son named John Wesley and he leads uh, what is now called the first great awakening in our country where all these people come to know the saving power of Jesus and the country is turned and it's, wow, it's awesome. And there was a second great awakening. Lots of people are hoping and praying, amen, for a third, another great awakening in our country. John Wesley was one of the men at the center of that, a wonderful theologian, writer, uh, evangelist. And he said he believed that the living core of the Christian faith was revealed in Scripture. We'll kind of pause here. It's like, how do we know what we know? Well, it's revealed in Scripture, and then it's illuminated by tradition. Light is shed upon it by this community, tradition and community. It's vivified. That means made alive by our own personal experience. And then, of course, it is confirmed by reason. I'll read it again, and then I have a little uh, chart, graph kind of thing, a visual. Wesley believed that the living core of the Christian faith, like how we know what we know, and the living core of the Christian faith is a person, Jesus. How do we know? Well, he's revealed in Scripture, illuminated by tradition, vivified in personal experience, and confirmed by reason. Let's put up the, the, the model here uh, of, of, uh, of uh, what this looks like, a, a, a kind of a how we know in the center. At the top is Scripture. This is how at the, at the top, like our go-to, 
our test is what does scripture say about this person of Jesus who has been made known to us? It's made alive in personal experience. It's, it's illuminated by this community tradition, coming to church, speaking about the word of God, uh, re- reacting with each other and showing the life of Christ in community. And finally, it's, it's, it's uh, confirmed by reason, logic, deduction. I think of uh, there's a ministry here in town called Summit Ministries that I'm looking around. I see a couple people are, are a part of. It's a wonderful organization that teaches kids about apologetics and using our mind to understand the things of Scripture. And the thing that is at the top of this is Scripture. That's how we know. Let me list some other things about the treasure of Scripture. Scripture is like standing on a stage and knowing the story and being in the story. When we wander from Scripture, we wander into nothing. Scripture orients us and reorients us into God's story. It is what forms us. It is meant to be a forming thing in our life. And the Bible brings to us a person, not just biblical principles. They open, the scriptures open our spiritual eyes. So hopefully that's enough to encourage us to read more, to, to, to consider the weight of the, what Scripture is to us, the treasure. This is point number two. Uh, I'll be very brief here. These are tempting and potentially unhealthy ways to read the Bible. Tempting and unhealthy ways. I have six. I'll list them for you. And I think about it's very possible to spend time in the Bible, time in the Bible every day, time in the Bible um, uh, as, as a devotional, and yet not be conformed to it. I'm reading a um, book about uh, a bank robber. Uh, I guess that's what, is that what pastor's supposed to do? I don't know. He's like the Babe Ruth of bank robbing in the 1920s. A pretty fascinating biography about this guy. He's quoted as, uh, if someone asks him a question, why do you rob banks? And his answer is, that's where the money is. <laughs> it's like, this guy, who is this guy? He, he's a creative bank robber, but a bank robber, a person who lies and cheats and literally steals. He puts people's lives in danger. He's a very good bank robber in the 1920s, robs lots and lots of banks, would case the joint days and weeks beforehand, making notes, memorizing notes, uh, learning the names of tellers, following them around, listening to their conversation, finding out the names of their spouses, so that in the robbery, he's holding the gun at someone saying, do what I tell you or you'll never see your wife Anne or your daughters again. Can you imagine me? And so they would do what, I mean, he was just a, a, a monster of a person that took advantage of people and he gets caught, he gets put in jail. The, the story just gets more fascinating because then he becomes good at escaping jail. He escapes like three or four times. He gets put back in jail. And one of the times where he attempted to escape but did not, he then gets put into solitary confinement for a long, long, horribly long time. And all he has in his cell is a Bible. And he reads it and reads it and devours. He reads it just for something to do. There's nothing else to do. Hours and hours of day, reads it for its history, reads it for some sort of entertainment, reads it just to keep his mind active, but does not internalize seemingly anything because the day he gets out, what does he go back to doing? 
bank robbing. Like that's, he was just like, how can someone read scripture every day for hours and hours and hours a day and not let it conform them? I don't know, but here is an example of that kind of person. Don't let that happen to you. So here's six tempting and unhealthy ways to read the Bible. Uh, the number one is like a textbook, just as info, just to pass the time. No heart in it, just reading it as if it is a history book. Number two is a magic book. In some cases, I imagine people just being superstitious about the Bible itself, being spooked by it, trying to tap into the Bible for some secret code or something, some secret spirituality. Number three is a coffee table book. It's just kind of uh, a book that you keep and Maybe sometimes you refer to it for inspiration, like a chicken soup for the soul kind of thing. You find uh, some scriptures that you know to be uh, give you the warm fuzzies and you refer to it. Uh, number four is some sort of a rule book, just the rules. Uh, you read it to tell other people the rules and to point out uh, how bad they are. Not a good way to read. Number five is a cookbook. You read it for formulas, recipes, uh, five ways to a better marriage, quick fixes. And that's really not the text of Scripture in the end. The, the, the text of Scripture leads us to a person, not principles, not these things. The final one is a some sort of a war book. Brett and I were talking about, the, I'm not sure if that's the best way to word it, but what we mean by that is a book that you just use for debate purposes. You use to prove or disprove things. You have an idea that you want to uh, maybe get a divorce or sleep around or rob a bank and you go find verses that could support that and you make, it's kind of like a war book, a debate book. So these are four unhealthy, tempting ways to read the Bible. Let's get to this third and final big point of this sermon, which is how to read the Bible. And here it is. Read the Bible, three things, habitually, wholly, and with holiness. I'll try to explain these three things. Read the Bible habitually, read it wholly, and read it with holiness. The first one, read habitually. I think a lot of these talks in this series are going to be like they were last week, like this week, where I kind of talk about like, read, get into a routine, read your Bible every day. And it, I imagine some of you in here are just like, ah, oh, I didn't read it this today. I didn't read it this week. And my purpose is not to look around and be like, hey, all right, seven days in a week. How many days did you read the Bible? Well, uh, uh, give me your hand. Slap the hand. All right, seven days in a week. How many did you read this day? Well, I mean, I got to give me your hand. Slap the hand. Like that is not my hope. My goal is for us to fall in love with the person who the yes. Bible is talking about and revealing to us. I think we could all, if we went around, there would just be a group like, yeah, we, we all know like this is something we would like to do more. And we do know, so many of us know the value and the treasure that is in scripture. So I have just some, uh, some practical advice and just some more like, let's get into this because this reveals to us a person whom we worship. The Bible is not easy to read. It's huge. It's a really big book. If it seems archaic and ancient, that's because it's archaic and ancient. Like this is a hard book. It's an old book. It is not our culture. It is not a book that, that, that I think the easy stuff to read these days is like the news headlines and Facebook, uh, Twitter updates. And the Bible is not 
like that. The, the wealth, the depth that is the Bible, it takes some work. I think about the habitual part of reading the Bible to set up a routine. Maybe some of you are in a routine, you have had routines or hope to be in a routine. And things, when you're in a routine of life, man, the the, the way things happen and, and the, uh, the successes you can have are just wonderful. Think about someone who just goes to the gym uh, five times a week, this guy. And it's like, wow, like the, the, the commitment and the, the, the routine, like, wow, there are results. Not in one day, not in two weeks, not in two months, but in the long periods, there are huge results to people going to the gym. They say, here's the joke, they say, that the hardest machine at the gym to operate. Have you heard this? It only requires one rep and one set, but the hardest machine at the gym to work, it's, it's this motion right here. Do you know what it is? It's the front door. Have you heard this joke? It is. It is the hardest, right? The front door of the gym. It's the hardest machine. And I think like reading the Bible, the hardest motion is, is the opening of Scripture, the setting up of routine. A guy named N.T. Wright, raise your hand if you know N.T. Wright. At least you've heard me talk about him. He's a, a theologian, modern day. Uh, people have compared him to the, the modern day C.S. Lewis. And when I first heard that, I was like, no way, C.S. Lewis is awesome. And then I started reading some of his stuff and watching videos and listening to podcasts. And it was like, wow, this guy is prolific. He is a theologian for our day, a kind, gentle man who speaks truth and, and really knows he's, he's the nerd alert of all nerds. Um, but he said this about Bible reading. He said two things, read it thoroughly and read it frequently. So let me give you some practical advice. Some of you uh, are, love this kind of stuff. I see some of you writing. Some of you are going to write down notes, and these things might help you in the routine. Others of you, you just don't want someone telling you how to do anything. And so for that, we'll just kind of just think about something else for a minute. Think about the reading scripture on your own. But here's some helpful things. For some of you, this is going to be just some practical advice that you can write down and think about. And the first one is this. The first one is almost like half point before we even get started. And that is to find a Bible. Some of you uh, are into either the paper, physical Bible. Some of you are, are love to, to read online and, and download a Bible, have an app for that. Some of you uh, get into listening to the Bible. That, that's been a part of my uh, reading of the Bible, is really listening to the Bible. And that is okay. For the longest period in church history, before the printing press, people did not have a physical book. They would listen to the word being read to them. And that's how they did their quiet. That was the devotional. That was the reading of the word, the actual listening to the word. So that's point number, uh, I guess half point before we even get started, is to get a Bible. And then some of you need to to, um, this would help a lot of you is to make an appointment with the Lord. I was listening to a sermon on this and the guy was really into this point. It's like, you can't meet with the president. You can't even meet with the governor. You can't meet with the mayor without an appointment. How can you meet with God without an appointment? He's going on and on. I was like, that's, that's kind of weird. Like, do you put down like, like meeting with invitees, God, uh, location, my heart? Like, the, uh, what? Like it's, it's, so anyways, if that helps some of you to make appointment in your calendar for a time set aside to read, to have a quiet time, do that. 
Go for it. I think there is something about a daily quiet time. I think that that's the, w- the way we eat is, is daily. I think all of us eat enough on Thanksgiving and Christmas to last us to like March, but that it doesn't work that way. We need meals every day. We need a quiet time every day. Some of you uh, will be helped just by having a plan, Bible reading plans. Those are great. Um, Otherwise, you might just pick your favorites and continue to read those. Um, I think about underlining and highlighting and journaling. These are all great things. So that's all into this read habitually, read wholly, meaning like read whole books, like go through books of the Bible. If, if you're like, man, where do I start? Well, I would love to get started. Start with John. Like that, the book of John, you've already had read to you the first 14 verses. So you've already started today. You're already 14 verses in. Start with the book of John. That's what any Christian will tell you. There's so many books of the Bible. Everyone always says, start with John. Why? Because it's a good book to start with. It's about Jesus, literally. And, and the purpose of reading the Bible is to find and, and believe in that person, to know that person. So the book of John is great. 21 chapters could take you 21 days. I've read the Bible. I've read the book of John like that. Um, and imagine reading an email. Someone sends you an email. It's kind of long. So you read like the first line of the email. Then you wait till August and read the second paragraph. That'd be silly, right? Well, we read the Bible like we would read a letter, like uh, read it wholly, W-H-O-L-L. Why, finally, the last point is to read with holiness. Read with holiness. I go back to that kind of how we read things today is there's so much to read. There's so many news headlines. There's so many things uh, on the internet, the, the Facebook, the Twitter updates constantly. It's just so much to read. And we read so much, but so shallow, right? Aren't we, if you think about what you read, it's so much, but it's so shallow. The holiness of reading scripture is to stop, pause, to, to realize we're trying to learn about the person of Jesus. And, and it goes very very deep. There's some Latin words that I remember learning about in seminary called lecto divina, which which means in Latin, a divine reading, where there's different ways of doing this, but the attitude is to stop, to pause, to read a smaller amount, but to read it really thoroughly. Uh, A a Bible teacher phrase is, it's not, uh, not about how much Bible you get through, but about how much Bible gets through you. Have you heard this? So consider going deep with the text of scripture. Consider, um, consider a, a five minute daily Bible time. Consider uh, going longer as time progresses. Consider thinking about the person that is Jesus as we read through scripture. Let me leave you with this, going back to Uh, What we started with, John chapter 1, verse 1, talks about, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This word, in Greek, it's logos, and it has a deep 
meaning. It predates John. John is using this philosophical word that goes back at least, I know, till Aristotle, because I have a quote of Aristotle using this word. So Aristotle's like 300 years before John will write this, and Aristotle says this. He says, Logos makes private feelings public. It enables the human being to perform as no other animal can, makes it possible for them to perceive and make clear to others their thoughts, feelings, and intentions. What's the logos? Well, it's like this bridge of communication between a person and, and wanting to say something and then the other person getting it. Like if a young man really, really liked a young lady and wanted to, to let that lady know, he would maybe write a letter, he would maybe get gifts, he would maybe ask her out on a date, maybe there would be flowers. All of these things would try to be a bridge of communication to communicate that this young man likes this girl. What would those things be? What would that bridge be? It would be the logos. And consider this. I'll leave you with this thought, and and, uh, Tyler will come and lead us to the table in just a minute. But consider this. like God wants us to know just how much he loves us. And so what does he do? Well, Well, in the beginning was this logos, this bridge of communication. And this bridge was God and was with God. And this bridge, this logos, comes to earth and makes his dwelling among us as one of us. And then that is revealed in history, an event that really happened through the text of Scripture, and we can know this person. Would you stand with me this morning? The band can come forward. As we prepare to take communion, Tyler's going to lead us through that moment. But I want us to hush our hearts, to quiet ourselves, to consider the words of John where he says that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And this word comes to earth and John the Baptist gives a testimony about him so that all people might know that this word would make itself flesh and live among us. The word came to his own creation In so many times, in so many ways, the creation does not recognize, the creation does not know who this word is, but it has been revealed to us and through scripture that this person, Jesus, is alive and here and in us. So Lord, we praise you. We give you all thanks and glory for scripture, for you, the person of God, being made known to us. And so, Lord, we quiet ourselves before you.